Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another podcast. I'm Christina Vogt, Associate Editor of the Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Letty, who is the Medical Director of the University of Buffalo Concussion Management Clinic and Clinical Professor in the Department of Orthopedics at the University of Buffalo Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Letty. So first, what are some recent diagnostic and treatment advances that have been made when it comes to the return to activity and exercise after concussion? The most recent treatment advance was a randomized trial we published uh, last year in JAMA Pediatrics, where we showed that high school athletes who were an average age of 15 years old and who were seen within five days of their concussion, they recovered faster after their concussion when they were randomly assigned to a sub-symptom threshold aerobic exercise routine versus a placebo-like stretching routine. We enrolled uh, over 100 subjects, half of which about were uh, randomly assigned to the exercise and half of which were assigned to the stretching program. We followed their symptoms every day for a month. Every week they came in to have what was called a Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test, which is a treadmill test that is used to identify the point at which someone has exacerbation of concussion symptoms uh, during exercise. And each week, the subjects got a new exercise prescription, whether that was aerobic exercise at a particular heart rate or a new stretching program to do. We followed them until they recovered. Recovery was defined as being back to baseline symptoms, having a normal neurologic physical examination, and a normal ability to exercise on the treadmill without symptom exacerbation. And we found that uh, both boys and girls responded faster to exercise. They recovered on average four days faster than if they had the stretching routine. There were no, no adverse events or side effects, so it was safe. And only a small percentage of them went on to have a delayed recovery beyond a month in the aerobic exercise group. It was two out of 53, I believe. And in the stretching group, it was seven out of 51 or two. This was not different between the groups, but it is much better than if you don't do anything for an adolescent athlete after a concussion. If you tell the athlete to go home and rest until his or her symptoms um, go away, the best research uh, in the field shows that after a month, 35 to 40% of them will be symptomatic. And in our study, there were only 5% in the aerobic exercise group and 15% in the stretching group that went on to delayed recovery. The other nice aspect of the study was that half the subjects were female and the females responded just as well as the males did to this approach. There's some studies in the concussion literature. If you look at recovery of adolescents after concussion, when they're told uh, to rest and not do anything, females take longer to recover than males. But with this approach, they recovered in the same time. What are some common pitfalls when it comes to the diagnosis and treatment of sports-related concussion and how can they be avoided? Some of the pitfalls are you know, when doctors in, in their office are seeing patients who've had a concussion, uh, they typically are seeing them days or weeks later, and they're not at the event that caused the uh, concussion. So it can be a little hard sometimes to know that a concussion did indeed occur. The symptoms after these injuries are pretty nonspecific and can sometimes be uh, produced by someone, say, with a neck injury or a peripheral vestibular injury without a concussion. So that's one of the problems treating clinicians run into when they're seeing somebody not at the time of the injury or or the next day, let's say. And so one of the things that we found that was 
using this principle of exercise intolerance, you can help to sort that out. And what I mean by that is one of the physiological stressors that reliably increases symptoms after a concussion is doing too much exercise before you're recovered. But you can use that in a controlled way to uh, help make the diagnosis. That is, if it's uh, a week later and you're not entirely sure the symptoms are from a concussion or another problem, you could put or have an associate of yours, uh, a trainer, a therapist, a sports medicine doc, an exercise physiologist, put your patient on a bike or a treadmill and take up the exercise intensity gradually and see if the concussion symptoms are, are brought on or exacerbated by controlled exercise. And if they are, you can be pretty sure that, in fact, it was a brain concussion at the time and, and the patient has not recovered yet. If, however, they, they have good exercise tolerance that they can pedal on the bike or run on the treadmill until they stop because of exhaustion, because their heart rate has gotten up near maximum, then you can be pretty sure that, in, in fact, it was not a concussion and the source of the symptoms is coming from someplace else. And now it might be someplace else in the brain, like a ocular motor problem or, again, a vestibular injury that's really separate from concussion, or it might be a neck injury or an exacerbation of a prior problem like a migraine headache or something like that. So we can use this principle of exercise tolerance to help in the diagnostic approach to concussions uh, sometimes. The other pitfall is, is related to the, the first principle I discussed is that it's really not good practice anymore to tell patients to go home and do nothing for days or weeks, no physical activity, not going to school, no significant cognitive activity and just kind of rest until the symptoms completely go away because we know now that that approach, in fact, doesn't work, especially with athletes, especially with middle school, high school, college athletes, that it's much better to, after a few days of relative rest and when the symptoms are stabilizing, to try to get them activated earlier on than we did in the past. That is to start to get them moving physically and doing cognitive activities but in a controlled, measured way and identifying their individual symptom exacerbation thresholds for those types of activities and then resting from that and then working below them for every day after that and then in, in, in increasing their threshold and, and pushing it a little bit to, to get them back into their activities faster and to know that mild symptom exacerbation after concussion is in fact not dangerous and doesn't delay recovery. It's not causing brain damage. And in fact, it may be necessary to enhance recovery in these patients. Could you discuss the treatment of acute sports-related concussion using early testing and some symptom threshold aerobic exercise? What we do is typically we take an athlete who's been injured a few days or a week before and um, who's still having symptoms. We do a neurological exam to make sure there are no red flags or obviously any focal deficits that would require brain imaging, uh, the vast majority of concussion patients don't have any red flags. Now they may have rather subtle oculomotor and vestibular deficits on exam, but these are not indications for imaging. And then we have to have some way to uh, generally assess their exercise tolerance. We have the Buffalo concussion treadmill test and we have a Buffalo concussion bike test that we've published on and that's available in the literature. And what we try to do is identify everybody's individual symptom exacerbation threshold point during the exercise test. And we take that heart rate where they express their symptoms. And we take 90% of that heart rate and give that as a training dose to use in, in association with some sort of heart rate monitor so they know what their pulse is. And we ask them to, to do 
aerobic exercise, generally on a stationary bike first and then a treadmill if they're tolerating the bike and exercise at that target heart rate for as long as it takes to bring their symptoms up again. So that might be 10 minutes, that might be 20 or 30 minutes. We tried to get them to do it for at least 20 minutes a day if possible, but they can stop before that or after that, depending if their symptoms go up by two or more points from their pre-exercise baseline. We, we explain to them how to do that. Just identify how you're feeling. Is it two out of 10, a four out of 10? And then once your symptoms go up by more than two points during your exercise bout, then you should stop or you can stop at 20, 30 minutes if you want. And the idea is to do that every day. And then as they're feeling better, then increase their target heart rate, either five or 10 beats per minute, depending on how they're doing, depending on what kind of athlete they are, until they can exercise basically to 80% or more of their age predicted maximum for 20 minutes or more without symptoms getting exacerbated for a few days in a row. And we, at that point, declare them cerebrovascularly and cardiovascularly physiologically recovered and they've completed the aerobic training part of the return to play process. And then they can then go right into sports specific training, which is stage three of the return to play process for getting um, athletes back to contact sports. They have to go through several stages. But after doing this aerobic exercise training, they've already done stages one and two, they can go right to stage three. And again, not everybody has a treadmill or a bike uh, and they can't do the, the concussion treadmill test, but you can, have an athlete even try to identify his or her own threshold on a piece of exercise equipment they might have at home or in a training room, maybe work with their athletic trainer or a physical therapist to, to do this. It's very good for athletes. It gets them engaged in their recovery. They're goal-oriented people. They're accustomed to exercising. And after a concussion, they don't feel good for a while and they're not exercising. So that can even exacerbate their concussion symptoms. So we try to get them to do something in a controlled, measured way talk to them about identifying their threshold and then staying below it, but getting them engaged in their, in their recovery. And it's generally been uh, very successful. What will be some key areas of future research going forward? Well, one is we don't know how much exercise after concussion is sufficient. We don't really have the dose established as every day necessary. Is it 20 minutes or is every other day okay or three days a week at, at a half an hour? So that's one, one question. How early can you do this after concussion? In fact, we've published that. We've done it as early as two days after the injury in high school athletes. And we certainly do that in college. We do it within a couple of days of the injury once their symptoms have stabilized. So you can do this in the first two to three days, provided their resting symptoms are not seven out of 10 or above. We don't want to do a test when somebody's very symptomatic at rest. But Generally, after a day or two, they've gotten down below that level, and you can do the test safely in those patients and do the exercise prescription safely in those patients. The other big thing in the concussion world is, does clinical recovery mean physiological recovery? That is, when patients appear to be recovered because they say their symptoms are down, it looks like they can exercise okay, their physical examination is normalized, is the brain still at risk for repeat injury, or is the brain really truly physiologically recovered. And how do you measure that? Is that with a functional MRI or a DTI, diffusion tensor imaging test? Is it a test of cerebral blood flow? Uh, is it some sort of serum biomarker? And so more and more research has shown that if you do some of these rather sophisticated and subtle physiological tests, they can appear to be abnormal still in patients who otherwise appear to be clinically recovered. 
So the question is, what does that mean? How long does that last? What does that mean in terms of vulnerability for repeat injury or potentially long-term problems after multiple concussions? Nobody really knows that. And that's a fertile area for further research. The other big area is sex differences. How are females the same as, as males, but also how are they different in terms of their physiological recovery? Does it relate to the, the phase of the menstrual cycle where they were injured? Hormonal influences, things like that. Another big area would be the genetics of concussion. Who's more susceptible based upon a potential genetic predisposition to having delayed recovery, for example? What key takeaways do you want to leave with neurologists and related healthcare providers who treat concussion? I'd like neurologists to know about the idea of exercise intolerance being a physiological sign of concussion that you can use in, in helping to establish the diagnosis, but also in helping to get your patients more active earlier on in the process, because it seems to help them recover faster. And it also, I think, will prevent some of them from going on to this delayed recovery. And it's really those patients that have the most problem with school and teams and socialization, et cetera. The patients that are taking a month or more to recover, they can have a really prolonged course after this sometimes. And I think by not cocooning them, not putting them at, at rest in the dark and, and not doing anything to exacerbate symptoms at all is no longer the way to go. You want to get them active in a controlled way earlier on in a measured way, tell them to pay attention to symptom exacerbation, but don't scare them that that's going to hurt their brain or delay their recovery because all the studies that have looked at that have shown that in fact does not do that. So don't be afraid to be more proactive in getting patients active earlier on after a concussion. And, and most of these people don't need any form of neuroimaging unless some cranial nerve deficit appears or the headaches are getting worse or their, their symptoms are very prolonged and, and again, changing, uh, not getting better because the, the vast majority of these patients have normal structural MRI scans. The other thing I'll, I'll ask neurologists to think about is examining the cervical spine. These are cervical strains and, and sprains, et cetera. Proprioceptive deficits are very common after concussion injury. And some research has shown that isolated neck injuries can actually mimic uh, the symptoms of a concussion or add to them. So you can have both injuries at the same time. So if you don't treat the neck, then the recovery will be prolonged. So do a good physical examination that includes not only uh, the cranial nerves and your basic neurological examination, but also looking at the cervical spine because good physical therapists can help these patients recover. And look for subtle oculomotor and vestibular deficits because this is very, very common after concussion. And if those don't go away in the first few weeks, that's a definite risk factor for this delayed recovery phenotype. And there are good interventions for that, that you can get patients into vestibular rehabilitation, for example, if they're not improving over two to three weeks and help them recover much faster than if you just sort of wait for that to go away naturally. Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Letty. For more podcasts like this, visit consultant360.com.